in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up-to-date with developments in the arboricultural industry. Today's talk is by Dr. Justin Morganroth on exploring the structural diversity in urban forests. It was originally presented at the 2015 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida. All right, good afternoon. Can everybody hear me all right back there? Yeah, okay. Um, the first thing I'll say is that uh, this is quite a deep room, and there are graphs in this presentation which have small little letters and numbers on the axes, so if you're hard of seeing, um, yeah, I recommend that you sort of move forward in the room. Um, those bios are always so strange to hear, I guess. Um, in the sense that you write those bios for your staff web page and then um, somehow they end up uh, uh, here at this conference. And so a lot of that stuff uh, that, that was said about me actually has no bearing on, on urban forestry whatsoever. But um, I, I, am, I do consider myself an urban forester um, or an urban forest researcher anyhow. Uh, I've dedicated a lot of my, my sort of academic life to researching urban forestry issues. Um, and this talk is no different. This talk is, is one that um, I developed over the course of the last couple of years. Um, I've previously given uh, a, a version of this talk um, at the Urban Tree Diversity Conference in Alnarp in Sweden. That was in June 2014. Um, so uh, if you happen to be at that conference, you will have already seen sort of a precursor to this talk. Uh, the difference between that one and this one is that now I'm working with the actual uh, Forest Service, the USDA Forest Service data. Um, and that adds a really interesting element to the talk. Um, I am from Canada originally. Obviously, uh, I was introduced as being uh, from New Zealand. That's where I traveled from. Uh, I arrived yesterday morning. Um, you can tell by the accent, though, it's definitely not a Kiwi accent. It's not nearly as charming as Mark Robertson's accent. Um, just, uh, just a plain old southern Ontario accent. My parents come down here all the time. They're snowbirds. You guys know snowbirds, or is that just a Canadian term? That's what you call the old, old Canadians that come down here? Yeah. Canucks, yeah. So um, in any case, uh, yeah, back to the talk, I suppose. Um, so I'm talking about, uh, about from sapling to maturity, exploring structure diversity in urban forests. Um, and, and again, the topic really came to mind um, as I was helping to choose the program for last year's Urban Tree Diversity Conference. Um, most of the abstracts that were submitted for that conference were about species diversity. Um, and it became obvious to me that, that another component um, of diversity was being widely overlooked, and that's structural diversity. Um, and, and because many of us know, if not all of us know, that, um, that the benefits, the ecosystem services and benefits that we get from our urban forests are linked to tree size, uh, I felt it was an important um, component of diversity to consider, and that is, yes, yeah, structural diversity. 
So that was one motivation for the study. Uh, another motivation for my study was just, um, just anecdotal, just noticing large trees sort of all around me being uh, removed and in many cases being replaced by much smaller alternatives. Um, the two images at left are actually photos that I took in Copenhagen while on, um, while, while at the conference last year in Sweden. Um, uh, we went on a field trip to Copenhagen and uh, we were shown um, this wonderful new skate park. Um, and that wasn't the purpose. The purpose of showing us this was to show us uh, that, that people who had been using the skate park um, had vandalized this horse chestnut. Um, they had put some complaints in that they didn't want the horse chestnut there. Uh, the, the city staff um, uh, basically said, well, you know, the tree was there before the skate park and it will remain there. And so the skateboarders uh, took things into their own hands and, uh, well, did the damage that you can see there. Um, I thought the, the response from the city was really interesting. The guy who was giving us the tour, whose name I, I forget now, um, he basically said, uh, we're just going to leave the tree there. And, you know, a lot of people were sort of a bit surprised at that and said, how is that possible? How are you just going to leave the tree there? Uh, it's just going to decline over time and eventually cause a major sort of safety hazard. And he said, well, the skateboarders did it to themselves. I'm not going to remove it. I don't care if it falls in the thing. They can deal with it when it falls. Um, that may work in Copenhagen. I don't think it would work in a, in a, in a more litigious country. Um, to be honest, I'm not even sure if it would work in Copenhagen. But um, in any case, that's, that's just an example of large trees being removed from a landscape. Um, the photo at bottom right there, uh, that is, that's the view from uh, my front porch um, in Christchurch, New Zealand. So I, I, I uh, am fortunate enough to um, live on this lovely hillside overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Um, and across from us, we've got this, this park landscape. Um, and in the park, there's a variety of non-native species, eucalypts from uh, Australia and um, pines, uh, radiata pines from the west coast of North America, um, from California, I guess. And those trees uh, in Christchurch's environment grow very quickly and grow very large. Um, now, what's happening uh, at present, what's happening um, as, as I speak, is that many of those eucalyptus trees um, are being felled, are being removed um, over safety concerns. Um, and they're being replaced with, uh, I doubt very much you can see it, but there's one right there, tiny little one. There's another tiny little one, tiny little one. Um, those are native species, uh, native to New Zealand, um, Podocarpus totra. And um, they are a very slow-growing species. Uh, those, those examples there, those have been in the ground for eight years now, I was told. Um, and there's virtually no change uh, in, in their size. Um, they take hundreds of years to grow to maturity. And so it'll be a very long time before those produce any ecosystem services whatsoever. So that's, a, that's another sort of motivation for my study is to try to understand whether or not we actually do have large trees in our cities uh, or whether they're all being replaced by small trees. The final bit of motivation for my study was I found this, this article. Um, so this article um, was published a few years back and a quote from the, the scientific article um, said, large old trees are disproportionately vulnerable to loss in many ecosystems worldwide as a result of accelerated rates of mortality, impaired recruitment, or both. The article went on to specify that this is also relevant to urban areas, our, our cities. Um, and so that, um, that, I guess, drove some questions in my own mind of whether the, there's sort of a perceived loss of old mature trees, um, large trees rather, uh, or whether the, that's an actual fact. So I wanted to answer a couple of questions. 
Do our cities have proportionally low numbers of large trees? That's question number one. And the second question is uh, whether the loss of large trees is actually problematic in our cities. So to answer those questions, I needed access to, uh, to urban forest inventories, urban tree inventories. And that's because from those tree inventories, we can get the diameter distributions and gain an understanding into uh, tree size patterns. Um, obviously, we're not talking about old age mature trees. Mature trees can also be small. So, so we're really talking about size as a surrogate for age. So um, it's a question of, of tree size. Um, and looking at some of the, the tree diameter distributions that I was able to get my hands on, um, it quickly became clear to me that uh, I actually had questions about what the ideal tree size distribution was. Um, there are some rules of thumb, uh, there are some numbers out there, but um, it's a question of is, you know, how many large trees is enough, how many small trees is, you know, what is the right number? Um, so what is the ideal size class distribution? So that sent me down the rabbit hole even deeper, checking out old literature. Um, and this was the oldest reference I could, found, uh, I could find to sort of ideal diameter distributions. This is a French forester about 115 years ago. Um, he was the first to sort of formally describe uh, what's now commonly known as the reverse uh, J distribution. Uh, this, is a, this is a term in forestry that we also use in urban forestry, but it's, it's formally a, a forestry term. Um, and it's typically used to describe the size class distribution uh, in an uneven aged um, forest, uh, which actually, if you think about it, suits an urban forest just very well. So that was, um, that was size class distribution or diameter class distribution for uh, natural forests. What about in the urban forest? Were there any specific um, uh, uh, guidelines or rules of thumb describing what the ideal size class distribution was uh, for urban forests? Turns out there were. I found, a, I found a couple. There may be more. I may have missed some, but I found a couple. The first one I found was, uh, was Richards's paper. Um, and Richards's paper was the most cited in all of the literature that I read through. It was always cited as sort of this is the ideal size class distribution. I don't think he meant it that way at all. I think that's what people have, have, have picked up on, though. Um, and, and so his, I'll get to what he suggested in a second, but I really Im immediately started thinking, is this actually um, uh, an ideal distribution? Is it the truth? Um, is it even generally applicable, or is it really only applicable to, uh, to what he's writing about, which was Syracuse, New York? Um, Richards himself even uh, actually just calls them my approximate guidelines. So what did he say? He said, for adapted long-lived species in Syracuse, a good age distribution for population stability would be 40% of trees under 20 centimeters diameter, 30% between 20 and 40 centimeters diameter, 20% uh, between 40 and 60 centimeters diameter, and 10% uh, larger than 60 centimeters. So that's what he suggested for Syracuse, New York, for um, uh, population stability would be an ideal diameter class distribution. Again, using diameter as a surrogate for age. So that's one possible um, size class distribution. Fast forward 20 or so years, and you've got a couple of scientists from, uh, from Canada, Millward and Sabir, who modified Richard's proposal. Um, 
and they've created what they call a generalized ideal distribution that would see 40% of a tree population fall within 0 to 15 centimeters, 30% from 15 to 60 centimeters, 25% from 60 to 90, and the further 5% 90 centimeters and above. So now what we have is we've got these two sort of quote-unquote ideal size class distributions. Um, and so if we use those as, as these sort of exemplars, how does the data that we currently have for our cities compare to those, those rules of thumb? How does reality compare to these ideal quote-unquote distributions? Um, and that's, that's, I guess, where the, the project began, and, and I had to sort of start accessing um, data. So I, um, sorry, it looks so washed out there. Um, I, I, I guess got in touch with Dave Nowak, um, and he kindly provided um, uh, iTree inventory data for 23 um, cities throughout the U.S. Um, you can see the sort of distribution of cities there with the green dots, um, sort of a higher concentration in the, in the northeast than anywhere else, but uh, overall a, a nice distribution of cities uh, across the U.S. And what, what I got from those inventories was uh, the diameter distributions as a percentage of the total population in three-inch diameter classes or seven-and-a-half centimeter diameter classes. Just for your own interest, this is uh, the list of cities as well as I just put their populations in there. So you can see that it's a, it's a wide range of cities from uh, things that would possibly even be considered towns at you know, 20,000 odd people, all the way up to, to sort of mega cities like Los Angeles at nearly 4 million people. So there is a wide range of cities included in this data set. Um, so I think it's reasonably representative of what the situation is um, throughout the rest of the US. Now, it's worth saying at this point that um, iTree inventories have been conducted in other parts of the world. There are iTree inventories for Canada, uh, parts of Europe, uh, Australia. Um, we, we could potentially get access to that data as well, but for this talk, um, I chose to stick with just the US data um, um, and present it to you in this fashion. So, what are some of the results of this study? Um, Let's, let's first sort of plot the ideal size class distribution. So this blue line represents uh, Richards's ideal size class distribution. What we have here on the x-axis from 0 to 150, that's stem diameter in uh, centimeters. So dBH in centimeters, what we have on the y-axis, that's the proportion of the total tree population that fits into each one of those uh, uh, diameter size classes. So just for example, there we go, 40% of the total population um, between or under 20 centimeters, 30% under 40 centimeters, 20% under 60 centimeters and 10% um, uh, uh, under, or I guess over 80 centimeters. So that's, that's Richards's ideal size class distribution plotted out. Similarly, this is the Millward and Sabir idealized size class distribution plotted out. So that's what these two authors, this set of authors, have described as um, what a good size class distribution would be um, if you were trying to get population stability in an urban forest. So let's add on that iTree data that I talked about, the 23 different um, data sets. There's our um, individual points, um, again, at seven and a half centimeter uh, diameter classes um, for, uh, for the 23 cities that we included in, in the results here. Um, the first thing that, that you, know, you should absolutely notice is there's a huge amount of variation within the data. 
So in particular, the small uh, size classes, you've got massive variation amongst those 23 cities. Uh, 55, 60% in the smallest class, all the way down to maybe 5% in the smallest class. So it's highly variable data, and I'm just showing sort of pure averages here. Let's just add that trend line. So that's just a trend line that uh, is a line of best fit um, through all of those points. So now that gives us two idealized um, uh, size class distributions and a further size class distribution, an average size class distribution that represents um, those 23 cities that we included in the survey. So um, apart from all the variation, which is obvious, uh, something that also immediately hops out at me is that reality um, certainly doesn't match those idealized size class distributions. There's a big difference between what is in our cities and what Richards proposed and what Millward and Sabir proposed. Um, so there's, that, there's a, a major disconnect. In reality, we have a lower proportion of large trees than under either of those ideal conditions. But this is assuming that those ideal conditions are correct. Um, that's a big question mark. Are those ideal size uh, distributions correct? Maybe what we're actually doing, maybe that is more correct. Um, and again, you, you have to sort of set your objectives to know whether or not you're correct or incorrect. Um, but something that we, can, that, that we can talk about is what those ideal size distributions uh, tell us about our urban forests. So that's what we'll look at over the next few slides. Basically look at the ideal size class distributions and the reality of our size class distributions and um, try to infer what that means from a management perspective um, uh, and what that means for our urban forests. To do that, to talk ab uh, about that, to discuss uh, all of that, uh, I want to take a quick segue into population demography. So population demography um, is a statistical science where you're basically just describing populations, oftentimes uh, human populations. Um, and so uh, I'll just put up, for example, um, uh, four different classes of, um, uh, of, of population metrics. So at left, um, you have what's considered a rapidly expanding population. Um, uh, you move to an expanding population, a stationary population, and a contracting population. And then just examples of those, we've got the population of millions for Angola and for Japan. So in Angola, you've got very high birth rates uh, down at the bottom of the graph. So lots of new births, very few people make it to old age in Angola for both male at left and female at right. In Japan, you've got a lower birth rate and you've got sort of a bulge in the middle. So you've got lots of people heading into um, old age from middle age. So you've got totally different shapes of populations. And the shapes of those population distributions have major impacts um, for the way that government deals with things like um, uh, retirement savings plans and things like that. So, I stole from um, population demography to try to understand our own tree size class distributions. What do I mean by that? So let's take those four different examples and compare them to our tree size class distributions. So you can see that the Richards size class distribution, again in blue on the graph, that's what you'd consider an expanding population. So the, 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 the description from human population demography is that the Richards proposal, the size, uh, the size class distribution, uh, represents an expanding tree population. 
Millward and Sabir, the red line here, that represents a stationary population. So that's basically a population where the birth rate, i.e. the planting rate, matches um, uh, the death rate or the mortality rate or the removal rate, so that you always have the same proportion of trees in each of the different size classes. Our eye tree data, again, the black points with the highly generalized um, line of best fit through it, what does that represent? Yeah, rapidly expanding population. So again, from that human demography, we have a tree population in our 23 cities uh, that is best approximated by a rapidly expanding, um, uh, uh, I guess, distribution shape. Um, what we have rapidly expanding, what we want according to Richards is expanding, and what we want according to Millward and Sabir is stationary. Um, and I'm not here to tell you which is the best or which is the worst. In fact, I don't think any of us really knows. Um, but what, what we can do is um, discuss what those different distributions um, mean with respect to our, uh, our urban tree populations and, in fact, how we manage uh, our urban forests. So let's look at, again, the same graph uh, uh, and some of the things that, that, we can, um, that we can infer from that graph. So in a rapidly uh, expanding population, which is what we have, that's the actual distribution, we've got very high planting rates. Again, I, I was actually, Dave's in the audience there. I, I, enjoyed Dave's talk this morning. One of the things that he mentioned in the Syracuse context uh, was that it, uh, there w it wasn't all planting. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of buckthorn that had self-seeded, and that's where a lot of the trees, um, the trees in the younger cohorts were coming from. I hadn't actually considered that until I heard him say that. So I've said planting rate is high, but that could also just mean um, the, the urban forests are regenerating uh, uh, at a high rate um, uh, in those lower size classes. Um, so the planting rate is high, the mortality rate though is also high, and what that results in is a relatively low proportion of large trees in our cities. If you were to consider an expanding population, you've still got that high planting rate, um, you've got a moderate mortality rate, and what you end up with is a moderate proportion of large trees. The stationary distribution, high planting rate, but a low mortality rate, resulting in a relatively high proportion of large trees. So again, depending on which shape our tree size class distributions take, it's going to affect um, the proportion of large trees that are within any of our cities. And uh, that has multiple impacts. Um, the higher the proportions of large trees that we have, um, the greater the uh, ecosystem benefits that we're going to receive from those large trees. Uh, on the flip side of that, there's also, we have to consider cost. Um, it's a bit of a redundant question, but does it cost more to care for a large tree or does it cost more to care for a young tree, a small tree? Um, so we have to consider both sides of that equation. So in that stationary population, even though there are a larger number of, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say number, it's got nothing to do with number, a larger proportion of large trees, it's a greater proportion of large trees, so we're getting those great ecosystem services from that particular distribution, there's also a cost side to things. Uh, if we look at our current actual distribution, we've got a very small proportion of large trees, meaning that we're probably uh, not optimizing ecosystem benefits, um, uh, but we're spending a great deal of resource uh, uh, 
planting new trees um, uh, and unfortunately not allowing them to get to that, that ripe old age. So, back to those original two research questions. Do our cities have proportionally low numbers of large trees? Um, I think the answer is yes. I think looking at those graphs, the data tell us that proportionally there is a, a, a low number of large trees. Is loss of large trees problematic in our cities? Well, actually, we, I don't think we can answer that with the data that we've currently got. What we need to be able to answer that question in terms of tree loss is a long-term or a multi-temporal urban forest inventory. So what I've shown is just a snapshot in time. It's just a single data point um, showing uh, a tree size class distribution at a given time. I'm going to refer to one of Dave's older papers um, uh, that shows a tree size distribution uh, for Syracuse, New York at three different time frames, 1999, 2001, and 2009. This is the type of data that we actually need to be able to answer the question of are we losing large trees, are we gaining large trees, what are the dynamics, what are the changes in that large tree population. So that's the data that we actually need. Um, and that's where uh, the role, again, of of um, programs like iTree become very, very important in the sense that we have a standard approach to collecting data, we have a standard approach to reporting data, and if we can collect and report that data at multiple times um, uh, throughout a city's history, we can gain a better appreciation for um, how the proportion of large versus small trees is changing in our cities. So, just in uh, summary, we've, got, we've, we've done this, this simple meta-analysis looking at um, the size class distribution for 23 cities across the U.S. Um, and what we've identified uh, is a rapidly expanding tree population where we're planting a huge number of trees um, and currently because of high mortality rates or high removal rates, um, not a lot of them are getting into those larger size classes. But if, those, if, if practices were put in place to alleviate or to, to reduce mortality, um, then, then we would be in a position where we have a very rapidly expanding tree population. Uh, again, high mortality and removal rates prevent uh, a higher proportion of large trees from, um, uh, from uh, moving up in that population distribution. And if we ever do want an answer to that second question of um, do we, uh, are we losing too many large trees, are we gaining too many large trees, then we really need um, a situation where we can get long-term urban forest inventory uh, so that we can sort of fully appreciate um, all of those issues. So with that, I'm going to sit back and take some comments and questions um, because I know I've got quite a bit of time. Um, but before I take any comments or questions, um, I, I did want to plug a couple of things if you'll, uh, if you'll indulge me. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm co-hosting uh, the second annual um, Urban Tree Diversity Conference in Melbourne, Australia next year. Uh, it runs from the 22nd to the 24th of February. Great time to be in Melbourne, Australia. Great time to, uh, to, to escape the Northern Hemisphere, that is unless you're from Florida, in which case just stick around here. It's beautiful at that time of year. Um, uh, but yeah, I, it's a really good opportunity to come and see what some of the world's best scientists uh, are saying about urban tree diversity. 
Um, the second plug that I'll give uh, is for the Tree Fund uh, live auction this evening. Um, that is running from 6 to 8 p.m. here, and it's a really good opportunity to uh, contribute uh, some of your funding, some of your money to uh, the cause of research in arboriculture and urban forestry. Um, this particular study wasn't funded by Tree Fund, but uh, I've been funded twice previously by Tree Fund, and I can assure you that the, uh, the money does go a long way towards, um, towards uh, creating really high quality research that I hope is uh, enjoyed by sort of the wider community. So with that, comments and questions. Yeah, Guy. Um, I'm wondering, the, the first thing you showed was the horse chestnut in Copenhagen dropping chestnuts on the skateboarders. Did anybody ever suggest maybe pruning the tree to stop the litter and still preserve the tree? I think this is just one of countless examples where we're, we really limit ourselves in management. We're afraid to send out a tree or pick up a saw. And so we seem to overanalyze these things, and that's one cause of losing the tree. Yeah, I, I couldn't speak to that specific example. I don't know whether anybody just suggested a simple, uh, a simple prune situation. My, my understanding is that it happened within the same season of that skate park went in, so I, I don't even think there was a great deal of time between when the skate park went in and when the, the tree was vandalized, but um, I, I think your point's well taken. Um, often often overreactions uh, are used instead of just simple good management practice. Yeah. Geez, if I said the data from my tree doesn't tell us anything, I definitely misspoke, but um, it certainly wasn't my intention to say that. Um, so Rob's, Rob's initial, I guess, comment was, I, I began talking about a reverse J uh, distribution, and then maybe I didn't make it clear at the end, in fact, I don't think I said at all, that what we do have is a reverse J distribution, is that? Roughly fair? Yeah, so we, we have a situation where our cities currently have a reverse J distribution. So from the perspective of traditional forestry and um, uh, uneven age class um, uh, forests, uh, it probably is um, uh, quite a good, uh, quite a good, distribution, I guess, in the sense that you've got lots of small trees ready to replace the larger trees that are harvested. Um, but I guess in, in cities, we don't sort of, we don't harvest trees. Uh, we, we remove trees when, when certain situations arise, but yeah, I guess harvesting isn't typically part of it. Right, yeah, yeah. No, that's a fair point. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. I'll go to the back of the room, maybe. Yes, sir. Your data was mostly given by Mrs. Carlock. Diameter of tree, is that correct? Yes, correct. Have you noticed any correlation between canopy coverage and uh, data? 
Uh, that's not something I've, I've looked at at all. I really just stuck with, uh, with diameter distribution. That being said, I know that, um, that part of the iTree uh, data collection protocol is for, for canopy um, spread to be, to be measured, so it's certainly something we could look into. Yeah, I'd love to chat with you afterwards if you could stick around and just let me know why you think that would be important. Thank you. Yeah, at the front. I do great writing and fundraising for forestry projects for the town of Windermere and for Maryland Gardens. And I noticed that you said you do some of your great writing through the tree fund. Who else do you go to for funding your grants? Uh, in New Zealand or, or worldwide, really? Um, both so within New Zealand, I, I, I get internal money through my university. Um, I approach city councils uh, to try to directly fund uh, applied research that would affect them. Um, just by way of example, I've done some porous pavement research in the past, and that was partially uh, partially funded through Auckland City Council. Um, but apart from from those New Zealand examples, uh, the tree fund is it. Yeah, yeah, major role. Yes, in the front here. Um, so for those of you at the back, uh, the question was when I, when I uh, brought in the data on um, size class distributions from iTree, did I um, consider any correlations between size and species? Um, and the, the really quick answer is no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't look at species at all. Again, it's available. Um, uh, it's just, you know, the, the iTree data set is so rich. There is so much data um, that is collected and it's, it's standardized so nicely so that it allows for this type of study um, uh, it's just a question of uh, finding, I guess, the right amount of time to dedicate to it. Yeah. And you, you had a question as well. If you can come back to the picture from Syracuse and analyze it, say something about it. This one here? What can we Oh, what can we infer about large trees? Right, okay, thank you, yeah. So, so the final point is what can we infer about large trees from a data set like this? Um, from a data set like this, what we can say is that over the course of the 10 years that this study was, was conducted, um, there appears to be little to no change in the large tree population, um, uh, again, across those 10 years. Now, um, it's important to note, though, that in the small diameter classes, there is a reasonably high change. So if we are, uh, if we are managing to retain those trees, that high proportion of, of, of small trees will eventually mature um, and will have a, a blip, you know, will have an increase in large trees. Um, but again, if, if, if there's sort of failure over time, those small trees won't grow into large trees. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's, I appreciate the comment. It's it's quite interesting to think that. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Dave. Yeah. Just a comment on the surface. Well, the economy needs to do is take those stands now, where these two basic structures are going to last. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. So again, there's so many questions around sort of what will happen, but again, if we want to answer any of those questions, what we need is that multi-temporal data. You know, you need data from multiple points throughout time. Um, doing, a, doing an iTree inventory or an urban forest inventory once uh, has very limited value, has to be repeated. Any guy again? Yeah. About that graph, uh, I'm wondering that uh, between zero and 50,000 was like about an eighth of an inch to me. I'm wondering what the, if a different graph would show more variation. Yeah. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, again, that, that's literally just clipped out of Dave's paper, so um, Dave could possibly uh, give you a, a better answer. Um, I did find, surprisingly, it's very difficult to find multi-temporal, uh, published multi-temporal data. Um, I found a, a really interesting paper by uh, Andrew Kozer, if he's in the room, and uh, Rich, um, and a couple of others about uh, street tree population in Milwaukee, um, and they showed uh, a change in diameter class distribution distributions for a, a street tree population. Uh, the only reason I haven't shown it is because I really wanted to focus on urban forests as a whole, not a subset like street trees. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to, again, keep that standardized sort of data format to make sure that I was, I was sampling urban forests as a whole, not just one population. Yes? Did you encounter any uh, inherent bias in your data sets? Because I know a lot of inventories, they don't even start until you reach six or eight inches in diameter. Yeah, again, I, th I think, I think, uh, and I, please, iTree guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the iTree protocol is, is robust in, uh, in its sampling so that, so that bias isn't sort of introduced uh, purposefully. Um, the, uh, the data set that we worked with uh, was in seven and a half centimeter um, uh, diameter classes, um, and we have access to uh, two and a half centimeter diameter classes. One more question, and maybe I'll just, it's appropriate to like give it to Dave. <laughs> trees that have been planted even established properly in the first place. It does sort of bring about questions like that. So yeah. Anyhow, I think that's probably uh, all for questions. I really appreciate your time. Um, and I'll hand it back over to the moderator. This concludes Dr. Justin Morgan Ross' talk on structural diversity in urban forests. You can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the books Planning the Urban Forest, a collaborative report on the development of urban forests in the U.S., 
and Urban Tree Health, a practical and precise estimation method by Dr. Jerry Bond. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to today's podcast, please visit the ISA online store and select online CEU quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.